Acts chapter 4, verse 32 and 33. And then I'm going to read uh, Psalm 133 from verse 1 to 3. Acts chapter 4, verse 32 and 33. Now the multitude of those who believed were of one heart, one heart and one soul. Neither did anyone say that anything, any of the things he possessed was his own. But they had all things in common. Somebody say in common. They had all things in common. And the Bible says in verse 33, And with great power, the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord, and great grace was upon them. Great grace was upon them. The foundation for great power and great grace is connection and unity. The foundation for great power and great grace is connection and unity. Connection and unity. Connection and unity. Can somebody say after me again? Say, we're stronger together. Say it again. Say, we're stronger together. So the foundation for great grace and great power is connection, is unity. When there's disconnection, power also dissipates. Grace is reduced. Psalm 133, I'll read from verse 1 to 3. Psalm 133, verse 1 to 3. The Bible says here in New King James Version, Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. It's like a precious oil upon the head running down on the beard, the beard of Aaron, running down on the edge of his garment. Verse 3 says, It is like the dew of Hammon descending upon the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord commanded the blessing, life forevermore. See, when you read this Psalm 133, it just looks like they're describing some things, describing locations that you're not familiar with, you know, and all that. But let's get into it a little bit more. Can you give me Psalm 133, verse 1 to 3, from Message Translation? We're discussing Stronger Together. This is the first message in the series, Stronger together. Psalm 133, verse 1 to 3, message translation. It says, how wonderful, how beautiful when brothers and sisters get along. How wonderful, how beautiful when brothers and sisters get along. Can you hear me look at your neighbor and tell your neighbor it's time for us to get along? The Bible says it is beautiful. Tell the person, the Bible says it's beautiful. Yeah. If you're telling your, your spouse that, it's a good thing. Yeah. We need to get along better. Praise God. How wonderful, how beautiful when brothers and sisters get along. Look at this. Then it starts to make descriptions. It's like this. It's like that. Can we look into the things that the Bible says it, it looks like? It's like costly anointing oil. Not anyhow oil. Costly anointing oil. He said it's like costly anointing oil. And when you talk about anointing, you're talking about empowerment. You're talking about the flow of grace. You're talking about the flow of favor. You're talking about consecration. That's what they use the anointing for in the Old Testament. They use it to consecrate a priest or consecrate a king. That God may use them. That means the anointing connects you with the fullness of God's purpose for your life. That you may fulfill it. That's why before a king will reign, the king will be anointed by a prophet. 
when a priest is appointed with his priestly garment, then there's a special costly anointing oil that is poured on the priest. You see that in Exodus chapter 30, verse 25 and verse 30. Before I go into Exodus 30, let's, let's peel a few more layers of this so that we can see it a little better. It's like costly anointing oil flowing down the head and the beard. Flowing down the beard of Aaron. Aaron there too, it's used, you know, as a description. Aaron happened to be the first high priest. Yeah, the first high priest appointed amongst God's people. Who was supposed to reconcile the people of God back to God. And he himself was consecrated with the anointing, set apart for the fullness of God's will for his life. The Bible says it's like that oil that was poured upon Aaron. And the measure with which it was poured. Because for something to flow from the head and drip down the bed and down to the skirt and down to the hem of his garment, it means it's in a measure that you can call the overflow measure. Yeah. It's not just a drop. A drop will not flow like that. Where there's unity, where there's connection, there's a huge flow. And it's not a flow of just anything. It's a flow of something powerful. It's a flow of something powerful. So it says, it's a costly anointing of flowing down the head, the bed, flowing down Aaron's bed, flowing down the collar of his priestly robe. And it's like a second description. It's like the dew on Mount Hammon, flowing down the slopes of Zion. See, when a dew, when it condenses properly, it can become a huge flow of water, just flowing down. And that's what happens when there's connection, when there's unity, whether in church, at home, or in an organization. There's providential help that God has vested in any place where you see unity and a strong connection. Where there's unity and strong connection. So he says, yes, that's where God commands the blessing, ordains eternal life. God commands the blessing and ordains eternal life on the place of unity, on the place of connection. Where we don't take it for granted that we have some connection and we maximize the connection. The Bible says there's providential help that God has commanded. That's why the Bible says one, which is a thousand, two, ten thousand. The power multiplies. Grace multiplies. It multiplies. It multiplies. Ecclesiastes 4, verse 9 and 10. One, chase a thousand. Two, ten thousand. And it talks about uh, um, two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labor. And it says when one, when one, is, is, um, when one is pulled down, it said the other person will help out. One cannot be strong alone. One is overpowered. For if they fall, one will lift up his companion. But woe to him who is alone when he falls, for he has no one to help him. That will not be your portion in Jesus' name. Or say better amen, somebody. So, there's power in unity. There's power in unity. Like I was describing earlier on in Exodus chapter 30, you see in verse 25, the Bible described the anointing oil that was poured upon the head of Aaron. He said, you shall make from this a holy anointing oil, an anointing, uh, an ointment compounded according to the, the heart 
of the perfumer. It shall be a holy anointing oil. And when we, you jump to verse 30, then it talks about, give me verse 30. Verse 30 then talks about that anointing coming upon Aaron. It said, and you shall anoint Aaron and his sons and consecrate them that they may minister to me as priests. And that's the anointing that the Bible says is made available in the place of divine connection and in the place of unity. Unity provokes the flow of the supernatural. When you, when you get yourself into a place where it's dog eat dog, everybody's fighting each other, everybody's quarreling with each other, there's envy, there's animosity, there's bitterness, whether at work, at home, in church, the presence of God may be far away from those places. This kind of description of providential help and the flow of heavenly resource will be far from such places. People wonder why some organizations don't move forward. Some churches don't move forward the way they're supposed to. Some families seem to be engaging, you know, backward movement rather than forward movement. It's because of the construct, the bitterness, the disconnection, the dog-eat-dog construct. It limits the power of God to avail for the people. Somebody say with me today. That's why we all need to value connection. All the connections that God has brought into our lives. So unity commands the flow of the corporate anointing in the church, for instance. Unity commands the flow of the corporate anointing. Unity provokes the overflow, like I described it. A disconnected body can't benefit from the anointing. When connected, every part gets a torch on the anointing. Every part gets a torch. Everyone, whether your part is in the neck or your part is in the beard, your part is in, you know, is further down. Everywhere is touched. Everyone is touched. No one is left behind when there's adequate connection within the church. Now, in the body of Christ, we are all, I mean, we're not perfect. We're not perfect. The way I see it is there's the church and there's the body of Christ. The church is what we see when we look at our individual weaknesses. The body of Christ is what happens when we're joined together, when we're fitted together. And when that grace starts to flow, just like the Bible says, we've come to Mount Zion, the city of God, the heavenly Jerusalem said we've come. One of the things he mentioned there amongst many things is that we have come to the blood of sprinkling that speaks better things than the blood of Abel. It means it's in our unity that we maximize the flow, the power in the blood of Jesus. Let me describe what I'm talking about. See, when we come together like this, we are in different shapes and forms. Yeah. Some people are sitting down here right now looking at somebody that they've met before. Maybe they've worked together before or maybe they know the person. I mean, people walk up to me sometimes. Yeah. Don't stop doing it. I'm not saying it's not a very good thing, but at the same time, it's not so bad. But let me describe what I'm talking about. When people walk up to me and say, I, I, saw, I saw, you know, one guy there. Uh, uh, somebody was singing on the stage or one usher and you know when we used to work together in so and so bank he was a bad person and I wonder what he's doing in this church like pastor chasing me away that kind of thing yeah you know some people do that yeah some people do that but what they don't understand is this the bible says when we come together it's a gathering we call it the body of Christ we're gathered as imperfect people yeah what cleanses us. What renews us is the power in the blood. 
There's a power in the blood. When God looks down on all of us, he sees his church. It may not be so perfect with wrinkle and all that, but it's looking at pouring out his blood and his word by the washing of the water by the word. That's why the word of God is an essential part of every Christian gathering. Because God wants to wash us every time we gather. Are you still with me today? Yeah. Secondly, is that the blood covers us. The Bible talks about the blood of sprinkling that speaks better things than the blood of Abel. When Cain killed his brother Abel and God showed up, God said, I hear the voice of the blood of your brother. The blood of Abel was shouting for vengeance. The blood of Jesus screams out mercy. Even while he was on the cross, he said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. So his blood speaks mercy. So when we come together, we have come to interact with that blood. So I don't look around looking for somebody with a fault. The blood of Jesus is speaking for that person. Are you still with me today? If we understand it like that, we'll be able to connect better. Yeah, we'll be able to connect better. The fact that uh, you live in the same estate with somebody and the person is a troublemaker in the estate and the person comes to our church and you sit together, then you're on the same road you're looking. Ah, this one too here. God have mercy. Yeah. Yeah. When we come to church like this, we've come to the blood of sprinkling. The Bible says it speaks better things than the blood of Abel. I'm not saying people should have bad behavior in the community and still, you know, just manage to show up in church. No, what I'm saying is that a church, when it's working right, it's a, it's a, 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 a coming together of imperfect people, the light of God shining upon them, the washing by the word, you know, is happening, and then the blood is speaking mercy over everybody. And as we engage the mercy of God, what happens to us, we, 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 we get enlisted as a candidate for mercy. Bible says mercy prevails over judgment. And God then starts to silence the adversary who is speaking condemnation into our heart and instigating further bad behavior. Yeah. Because the moment I'm assured that I'm forgiven and I'm not condemned, I, I, there's a part of me that is unleashed, which is a part to behave better. But the moment I'm locked into condemnation, the negative part of bad behavior is what is also unlocked more. I'm already condemned. Let's just, you know, when you tell a, a, a condemned criminal who has accepted that he's condemned, they just want to do, continue to do bad. I hope you understand what I'm saying. Yeah. But when mercy is presented, somebody see a reason to want to do something differently. If only we can see ourselves better when we gather together. If only we can see ourselves through the lens of the blood of Jesus, then we'll be able to connect better. We'll be able to, you know, we would literally run the devil out trying to disconnect us and make us feel like we're, 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 we're hypocrites. So that's how unbelievers see, unbelievers see us. Church people are hypocrites. They just gather together and do stuff together. They're hypocrites. Some of them are witches. Some of them are these. Some of them are that. They say all kinds of things. The church people, they're thieves. Yeah. Some of them, you know, they humanize more than the devil and they still go to church. Yeah. That's why some people say, I, I don't want to be born again because all the people in church are hypocrites. Yeah. Somebody says, I don't want to go to heaven because all the people going to heaven are hypocrites. <laughs> the devil just keeps lying to people. 
giving them the wrong picture of the body of Christ and of the church. We know who we are, washed by the blood of the Lamb. We are not perfect, but we're engaging the oil of the anointing, the mercy of God. We get better on a daily basis. We are candidates for his mercy, not candidates for his wrath. Yeah. We have escaped the wrath of God. Say amen, somebody, if you believe that. Yeah. That's who we are, and we know it, and we believe it. We believe it. So we have to live it and live it out. Because I'm speaking to you this morning that people here who still struggle to see their spouses in the, the right light. Yeah? Just say this one. Maybe you will make everyone you know, just by a thread. Yeah. The way he's living his life. That's a, a man thinking about his wife. or his See, we judge a lot. And it continues to disconnect us. I was saying in the last service that one of the ways by which God has helped me to get better in my own marriage is that at the lowest moments, yeah, when I start to feel this woman, does she really love me? Do you know the way she's behaving? You know, sometimes you get to a point where I just convince myself she's a child of God, that's all. And it's, I'm okay. Yeah. Yeah. If you can see your next neighbor, the, the, your, your colleague at work who says he's a Christian, as a Christian, and commit them to the hand of God, God will do his work. The Bible says he's the one that starts to work within us to will and to do of his good pleasure. There are things I will that my spouse will do. When I commit her into the hands of God, God is at work within her to will and to do. Rather than cutting down and, you know, you know, calling yourself names and calling somebody idiot, stupid, you know, and all that. You can't call somebody idiot, stupid, and still say they're children of God. Yeah, and that's what we do a lot of the time. That's what we do a lot of the time. Some people say they love God, but they hate his children. Yeah. So, you, 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 can you imagine coming to my house and say, Pastor, see all these your girls? They are this, they are that, they are that. What about you? I like you. I like you. You think I'll just be looking at you like that and say, come, yeah, let's go. That's what some people think, how some people think God thinks. And if you, you, you are sharper, how do you think about God? You, know, you just show up to God. You say, God, you have very stupid children. They are a bunch of idiots. But I love you. I love you, God. But see those are your children. What do you think God is thinking about you when you say that? God is saying, you, you are the real. <laughs> I won't say more than that. <laughs> but that's the way some of us actually behave. When you see somebody says, ah, church people. Oh, can't do business with church people. Useless people. And you're forgotten that they're children of God. <laughs> and then in the same God you're kneeling down to pray to. They are saying, your children are stupid. Wicked people. <laughs> the house is quiet this morning. <laughs> That's what we do. Especially when we want to justify why we should cut off from people. We'll find a tag for them. We'll find a name for them. That's what we do. Say amen, somebody. Amen. That's what we do. That's what we do. But God is busy saying that the spirit of the kingdom of God is a spirit of let us. Let us. Genesis chapter 1 and 26, the Bible says, God said, let us make man in our image. It's the spirit of let us. God is, is not content with just me. 
From Genesis 1 and verse 1, you see it there. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void. Darkness covered the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was moving over the face of the water. And God said, let there be light. In the beginning, God was present. His word was present. His spirit was present. That's why in John chapter 1, when you read from verse 1, in the beginning was the word, the word was with God. In the beginning was the word. The word was with God. And the word was God. And with him all things were made. And without him nothing was made that was made. And then the Bible says, and then the word became flesh. Talking about Jesus. And came into the neighborhood. So the word was present in the beginning. God was present in the beginning. Jesus is the word. The spirit was moving over the face of the water. And then creation started. The spirit of the kingdom of God. The spirit of let us. Yeah. And when God was to make man the epitome of his creation... He said, let us make man in our image and after our likeness. If some of us were God, it would have been about hi, hi, me, me, me. And we quote Romans 8 and 31. Some, some of us quote it this way. If God be for me. Because we want to justify. So we wrongly quote it. If God be for me, who can be against me? Romans 8 and 31. The Bible says, if God be for us, tell me who can be against us. The kingdom is about us. The blood of Jesus was shed for all of us to create a family for God. We are created for connection, not isolation. Yeah. Anything that instigates isolation, whether personally or collectively, or you know, isolating yourself, isolating a group for another group, isolating is the devil in operation. How do you sense that you are being attacked the moment you feel like being on your own? Yeah. Being on your own to dis disconnect from everybody with bitterness in your heart. You are being attacked. Yeah. That's the subtle ways by which the devil attacked believers. Part of the subtle ways the devil attacked unbelievers. Glory be to Jesus. Have you ever asked yourself before, why did you backslide the last time you did? Why? If, if you are like me, you backslid before. I did maybe once or twice after I gave my life to Christ. Anyone at all? You backslid before? Oh, see, see holy people <laughs> in church. Yeah, yeah. What happened when you backslid? If you can remember. Some people will just say, I fell into sin. No, you didn't just fall into sin. Something happened. And you can put it in two categories. It's either you have bad company or no company. Yeah. Bad company or no company. Bad company or no company. I can do bad all by myself. Remember the movie? Uh -huh. <laughs> all by myself. Bad company or no company. Yeah. You will. If the devil wants to attack anyone, it separates them from the pack. Why does the church exist? The church exists because God wants a family. Are you still with me today? A family where other believers can come in and connect and grow because we don't grow in isolation. We grow in family. That's why the smallest unit of human life is a family. Some of us would never survive, we wouldn't have survived the first 24 hours if we were dropping from heaven without mother or father. Just drop. 
You drop like this, you cry. Somebody's supposed to give you water, nobody to give you water. And before you know it, we'll just have like a, a garbage dump where they'll be parking. Can you just imagine it? I'm struggling to imagine it. If kids just drop from heaven. Yeah. They just drop in. Yeah. There's a blanket, soft blanket area of town where kids drop. They drop on the blanket. And it's whoever wants that will go and pick. If that is the way life is. Yeah. Because some, 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 I mean, until you think about that from, from that point of view, you won't understand why God instituted families. Yeah. Orphanages are trying, and we support a lot of them, but orphanage is not the ideal environment for a child to grow up. Yeah. Foster care is better. Yeah. For a child to grow within the family. Family is God's original intention. God's original intention is family. And the reason for family is that that's the ideal environment for people to grow. The same way as spiritual people, as, you know, as children of God, we have our ideal environment in a godly church where we are not perfect, but we're striving towards perfection and we're creating an ideal spiritual environment where there's a washing of the world, where there's, you know, where where we embrace the mercy in the blood and we create a connection that binds all of us together to do stuff together and for God. Your company is very, very important and you must understand that. Lack of company or bad company is what leads to people getting away from God. When you read through the Bible, you see in, in uh, Luke chapter 8 from verse 26, the story of the madman in gathering. Um, uh, you know, the Bible says he was isolated. He was, he was dwelling in the, in the tombs. Yeah. If that man was not isolated, maybe he's, the madness would have left him. But they left him in the tomb. And then a demon found him a good place to stay. When Jesus approached him and said, how many of you are there? I mean, who are you? He said, we are many. It's a legion, a thousand demons living in one person. When they unleashed that 1,000 demon, the herd of swine was destroyed just by what one human being was carrying. It gives you a picture of what some people are carrying. Yeah, especially in isolation. One person who had been isolated, the devil found a place, a dumb ground for all kinds of demons. Luke chapter 8, when you read from verse 26 down to 31, read it when you get home. We call it the madman of gatherings. This guy, see, the human heart is large. It has capacity. If you open it up for bitterness, animosity, and all that, it will feel the... A demon that can live in a whole city can live inside one person. Yeah, the number of demons. Because by the time Jesus approached the person, Say, who are you? He said, we are many. It's a legion. A legion means a thousand demons. Yeah. In one person. By the time Jesus commanded them to go out, they ran into a herd of swine, hundreds of them, and moved the entire thing into a river and perished it. That was what one person was carrying. Alone. You see people are alone. Fear them. Yeah. Yeah. That's why the Bible says it's not good that a man be alone. Don't be a dumping ground for all kinds of stuff from the pit of hell. That's not God's purpose for your life. That's why God connects us in spiritual families. And we must embrace it. 
We must embrace it. We must choose to walk with God and embrace it. Judas Iscariot started to separate himself gradually from the bunch in the scriptures. Luke 22, when you read verse 3, the Bible says Satan entered into Judas. Well, Judas's story started from one small misgiving there, one animosity there, uh, you know, the leader is not, you know, this, the pastor is behaving like this to me, the that, the that, and that's how it starts. And it starts to show up when you see, you know, the, the, the story of Judas, when you, the Bible scholars also said it has tribal connotation. Because Judas didn't have any other person in his tribe that was part of the twelve. You know, there's James and John, sons of Zebedee. Obviously, they're from the same tribe. You understand what I'm saying? The same father. And all that. Uh-huh. Simon Peter, you know, all this. Some of them are fishermen. They were in the same trade before. They knew each other before Jesus called them. Jesus Iscariot was just one of the type. And he couldn't manage the diversity well enough. Some of us, it happens to us at work. Everybody around you was speaking a different language from different parts of the country. And you are starting to already resent them. Why don't you just chill for them, like we say, just chill. Yeah. Tell your neighbor, say chill. Yeah, just chill for them. Yeah. And put on Christ. Because Christ is able to undo any kind of diversity. Focusing on unity. Judas started to misbehave. After a while, Judas' uh, uh, disdain and discontentment with leadership can be seen or could be seen from the scripture narrative when a woman came to honor Jesus and broke a box of alabaster perfume, expensive ointment, and wasted it on Jesus. Judas' response to the woman's action showed the state of his heart. Though he camouflaged it with religion. Saying this money, this ointment could have been sold. The woman did not bring it to be sold. She was led to waste it on Jesus. Huh? <laughs> yeah. But Judas was already thinking, why only Jesus? I don't know if you're getting what I'm saying. Why this? Why that? You know, to the point that Judas said, this thing could have been sold and... and you know, the money would be given to the poor. Jesus' response was, the poor you have with you all the time. Judas, the reason why I came here is to die for your sin and the sins of the world. This woman is preparing me for my burial. You, have, you don't have purpose in mind, Judas. You are covering it with religion. The thing is that your spirit... See, the prophecy about betrayal of Jesus did not have a name tag on it. One of the twelve will, dis- will, will, will be disloyal to him and sell him off, but it's whoever's heart is disconnected from the team. I don't know if you get what I'm saying. That's why you need to consistently watch your heart to be sure that if you are part of an organization, you are part of a church, you are within a family, your heart is in connection with the core of that family. If not, the devil will borrow you. God forbid it in Jesus' name. Judas' heart was already departing, departing with some of the things he said. Do you know the truth? The devil was not after Judas. The devil was looking out for Peter. Jesus caught that in the spirit and was praying for Peter. Peter was the target. He was the leader. The devil wanted to strike Peter so that when Jesus goes like this, he would just put them in disarray. Jesus was praying for Peter. Peter had a good heart. 
He had a loyal heart. He has a heart that's binding everybody together. When Jesus, when the devil could not lay hold on Peter, the person who has already been disconnected was the person they, he went for. Yeah. In Luke 22 and verse 3, the Bible says, and the Satan entered Judas. And later in that Luke 22, Jesus looked at Peter and said, Peter, Peter, the devil has desired to sift you as wheat. Of a foil. He said, this is a sift you, you know. He said, but I prayed for you that your faith will not fail. And he said, when you are converted, strengthen your brethren. You see that Jesus already knew the heart of Peter. He's a strengthener. He's a connector. When you are converted, strengthen your brethren. He couldn't say that to Judas. Couldn't say that to Judas. Glory be to Jesus. Tell your neighbor, be careful how you live. Say you are created for connection. Not isolation. So as a roundup this morning, we have connections and communities of our choosing and the one that we did not choose for ourselves. The one that we did not choose for ourselves is our family. Every other connection we chose. Yeah. The family unit is our first community that we did not choose for ourselves. We need to be careful about the one that God chose for us. Enough of all this disconnection from family members. It's not scriptural. And in Africa, we have our construct. We call it household wickedness. I don't know where we got that from. There's wickedness everywhere. Am I saying that no wicked people in families? There are. Our first response should not be disconnection. It's the last response. Would there be a situation where you disconnect from family members? Yes. But that's not the first response of a believer. Write it down so you can follow it. Yeah. Because I've, I've handled situations in this church. Somebody's in trouble. A marriage is going to pieces. Somebody has been arrested. No family member showed up. By the time we dig into it, some, some of our church members have not communicated with their family members in three years, in five years. They're alone. We handled a case not too long. A guy was incarcerated. And we're going, going, our legal aid unit, they're doing a fantastic job. Sister Wura and her team, they will go, do, do all that. See, no family member, only our legal aid unit showing up. What kind of life is that? Let's stop it. I'm connected with our family. You didn't choose your family. God gave you your family as a gift. You can't say because you are in Lagos and you don't want to see family. You don't want to. But you, that's, that's not kingdom. It's not scriptural. It's not scriptural. So people get into trouble. The only thing they can lean on is their church. We're here for you as your spiritual family. But I'm saying you need your family. If there's anyone here right now, you are fighting with your parents, your siblings, if you are a truly devoted follower of Jesus Christ, find a way by the help of God to resolve those issues. Not all your family members will be your tight friends. But you have a part to play in mending fences and relationships and bridging gaps. Because, you know, you have to be careful about a gift that you did not solicit for. For God to put you in a family... The only community, the only connection that is not of your choosing. It means there's something about it that you must not treat anyhow. Yeah. Time will not permit today to talk about my own family. You, you know a bit about my family. I talk about them all the time. Yeah. 
when I was growing up, I, I woke up one day and I said, God, why did you put me here? What kind of wala is this? Why? Why this one? Yeah? Why this one? When I was growing up, I've had a situation where I walked up to my, I mean, we came together, me and my siblings, to say, we will ask our mother today whether she gave back to us. Whether she's really our mother or she just took us from somewhere. My mother was tough. Tough! Very tough. Live in the kind of house where you are walking around and you're doing like this because you can, a slap can come from anywhere. Yeah. You block, I'm trying to block something. That's how you, yeah. You can't grow up like that and not ask such questions like, am I really a part of this family? Yeah. And you know, if you don't take care of such things, it grows with you into adulthood. Now that you are in Christ Jesus, all things have passed away. All things have become new. Yield yourself to the newness that is in Christ. Forget the past. That's what I'm saying. It's time to forget the past. Forget your, I mean, forgive your mother. Forgive your father. Forgive your siblings. They said you won't amount to anything. Now you have amounted. And so, so forgive. It's very important. It's very important. I didn't choose my family. God did. There's a formation, a construct that I must go through within that family to become whoever I will be. If I, if I separate the formation from the difficulty, I misunderstand it completely. Yeah. I misunderstand it completely. Joseph needed the kind of brothers that could send him to Egypt. If not, he would never fulfill his destiny. Yeah. So if he said, I will, I will keep animosity against my brother forever, he will not get to the throne. Egypt will be a wasted effort. He will just be wasting in Egypt. They will put him in prison, he won't be able to come out. I don't know if you get what I'm saying. Yeah, when he saw his brothers, he wept. He wept because he remembered all the wickedness, household wickedness. Yes, remember. But he had become a changed person. Yeah, he could forgive. He could forgive. If some of us were Joseph, just tell her that we won't even say anything to the guards. Just say, <laughs> say they are not worth my words. Just carry out the action, and I'm prime minister. All of them, yeah. Just kill all of them. Yeah. When that happens, the purpose of God cannot be fulfilled, because God sent him ahead to preserve Israel. Israel will have completely died in famine. They had money, but there's no food. From Jacob to the last of Israel, people of God will have been wiped out. Joseph was a preservative agent that God has sent to the place of food on their behalf. Yeah. But he needed wicked brothers who were arranging to get there. You are not the first to have wicked siblings. That's what I'm trying to say. Yeah. Look at your neighbor for me. Say, it's time to reconnect. Yeah. What, I, what I hear in my spirit is restoration. God is restoring Destiny relationships. Yeah. God is restoring destiny relationships. God is restoring destiny relationships. Yeah. And we must have the right heart this season. You must have the right heart. Let me, let me, let me close today. Uh, wait. Put the circles on there. Let me explain something. Then I'll close. About church. Yeah. Your church community. You know, I've talked about family. How do you embrace your church community? Let's close on that. 
how you embrace your church community. This is how we configure the church community. So you, you, you have the community, which is just people all around. This is Elevation Church Island Center. We have our community uh, from Lagos Island, Tomiland Bridge, down this way to a pair. That's our community. Ordinarily, this is where people come in. 95%, 98% of people who come into this church come from this community. That's the community of our church. From the community is where we get our crowd from. Now, please listen to this. The crowd are people who visit our church two to three times a year. But when you ask them outside, which church do you attend? They say it's elevation, elevation. Yeah. yeah. We are elevation people. Yeah. Some of them were here for Easter last Sunday. The next time we see them will be what night? Yeah. December 31st. Yes. That's how it happens. And then maybe they will come for first of January Thanksgiving or something like that. First Sunday in January. And you may not see them again. They are the crowd of the church. You then have the congregation in that orange circle. The congregation. The congregation are people who come into our church once or twice a month. Yeah. Once a month. Some months twice. They don't care about anything that's going on here. They're not connected with anybody. They don't know any pastor or care about anything. that we're doing. They just want to show up. Show up. Enjoy the world. Enjoy whatever is available. And go. God, answer my prayer. Yeah. You know, Baba God, answer my prayer. You know that song? Yeah. That's, a, that's all they come for. And they just do and go. They do and go. That's all they come for. That's congregants. So when we say registered membership, when we say the committed, we're saying people who are committed to the vision of our church. Who notwithstanding how long they've been here, they care about this church. They care about the vision that God has given us. So they seek to commit to what is going on here. They connect with leadership. They connect with other members. They serve. They look for opportunity to do something. Yeah. They give over and above the call of duty. They care about what God is doing here. They ask questions. Some of them are extremely busy. I know people are busy in this church, so busy, all they can do is to serve on a committee, maybe once or twice a year. But they're committed. Yeah. They pray for their church. They invite other believers to come in. The crowd and the congregation, they don't care about all those things. When we distribute cards and say, invite somebody and all that, it's none of their business. Yeah, church grows, it doesn't grow, it's not their business. You know, God, people get saved or not. Mm. But when you say the committed, that's what separates the committed from the congregation. Yeah. They want to care about what's happening in God's kingdom. They are the burden bearers of the kingdom of God. They bear the burdens of the kingdom. Jesus said, if you cannot carry your cross and follow me on a daily basis, you don't have a part in me. Like I shared in the last service, if you dig into the story of uh, bacon and egg, they said in the story of bacon and egg, the formation of bacon and egg, the pig was committed, the hen was involved. For you to get bacon, you have to kill a pig, lay down its neck and kill it, and slice out the meat, then you get bacon for breakfast. But for you to get an egg, the egg, the egg was involved, just drop it and go still alive and well to do anything, but just drop. That's what some people want to do. Just come to our church, drop something, and go. 
Yes. The kingdom of God cannot progress that way. It's a story of bacon and egg. The pig was committed. Jesus told his disciples, if you want to be my disciples, you need to carry your cross. What, what did he mean by carrying your cross? Ready to die. There's no commitment without sacrifice. Yeah. The other word for commitment is sacrifice. It will never be easy. It will never be easy. There's no commitment without sacrifice. Can you hear me touch, t- tap your neighbor and tell your neighbor, it's time to go on a sacrificial plane. Yeah. And the core of our church will have people who are sacrificing at the highest level, leading at different levels. Leading connect groups, leading units, leading all kinds of leadership than the core of the church. Yeah. Than the core of the church. And the beauty, the beauty is always in the core. Yeah. The beauty of the kingdom of God is always in the core. In the core, that's where the beauty is. In the core, that's where you find friendship. In the core, you find protection. The Bible says in the multitude of counsel, there's safety. The safety, Proverbs 11 and verse 14. The safety in the multitude of counsel. That's where you, 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 you know, Ecclesiastes 9 and verse 10. If one fall, the other one will pick him up. It happens more pronounced in the core. In the core, there's accelerated growth. Accelerated growth. Bible says growth happens. Ephesians 4 and 16. Growth happens through the things that we, each joint supply. That happens when you are in the core. The husband man must be the first partaker of the fruit. That's what the scripture says. And who is the husband man? The burden bearer. The one who is in the core. Yeah. Glory be to Jesus. Let me tap your neighbor and tell your neighbor it's better to get in the core. Yeah. That's where bottom pot anointing is. <laughs> Glory be to Jesus. Africans understand bottom pot. Yes. Yes. That's how you maximize any environment. Take responsibility. Take responsibility in the family. Take responsibility at work. But much more than that, take responsibility in the kingdom of God and get into the core of what God is doing around you. There's protection, there's friendship, there's growth, all that packed into the core. Don't stay, you know, in the fringes. Yeah. Any wind at all can blow people away from the fringes. When you get into the core, and put your biases behind you. Maybe you've been, you, you, you came in from somewhere else, you've had bad experience with topmost leadership, bad things, you know, and all that. You need to put that aside. If God is planting you here, put all that aside and focus on what God wants to do with your life right now. And believe the best concerning everybody that you will meet here. That's how to maximize a church. Glory be to Jesus. Lift your two hands to heaven today. And I want you to put it in prayers. Lord, Heal every destiny relationship around me. Order my steps to new connections. I don't want to live alone. I don't want to walk alone. I don't want to do life alone. I believe that we're stronger together. Somebody needs to pray this morning. If there's any relationship that you have brought into my life that I've abused, Lord, open my heart. Open my eyes. Help me, Jesus. To be, to, to be able to reconnect. Help me, Jesus, not to take those relationships for granted. Help me, Jesus. Help me, Jesus, not to take those relationships for granted. Help me, Jesus. Help me, Jesus. Help me, Jesus. 
Somebody needs to pray about your family right now and pray for restoration. Restoration. You know that family has been broken into pieces. Pray for restoration this morning. Pray for restoration this morning. That the heart of the fathers will be turned to the heart of the sons. That the heart of the daughters will be turned to the heart of the, 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 the mothers. The son-in-laws and mother-in-laws will be reunited. Daughters-in-laws and mothers-in-laws will be reunited. It's possible when we embrace grace. It's possible. It's possible. It's possible. I wanted to put it into prayer this morning. Pray for restoration. Pray for healing from the hurts of bit and bitterness that took you away for your, from your capacity to connect. Pray for restoration of destiny relationships that have been messed up. Pray this morning. Pray this morning. Pray this morning. Restoration of destiny relationship. Every destiny relationship that has been messed up, whether through my misbehavior or the misbehavior of the other person, Lord, I ask this morning for restoration. I ask for healing in the name of Jesus. Healing and restoration. Healing and restoration.